Vegetarian Zen, episode number 113. Welcome to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a healthy lifestyle. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to get your veg on. Hey there, VegZeners. Welcome back to Vegetarian Zen. My name is Vicki. And this is Larissa. And we have a surprise for you today. Yes, this is something we don't do very often. If you've listened to our podcast for a while, you'll know that uh, we have a guest. She is an urban gardener and a garden educator, and she's been featured in Apartment Therapy, on the Organic Gardener podcast, in the Art of Nonconformity blog, and on the PBS show Victory Gardens Edible Feast. She's the author of two books. Super easy seed starting and super easy food preserving, and we've we've both read the second one, super easy food preserving, and it's it's great, and we'll talk uh, we'll talk to her about that. Yeah, and she's just so easy to talk to. Yeah, she is, and uh, so she's on the show today to share some gardening tips. She'll answer a couple of listener questions that were submitted to us, and then to also let you know about a gardening challenge, a seven day challenge that she's hosting later in August uh, this month. It's if you're listening real time, and it's a free challenge for uh, to help you out with pr- food preserving. So, without further ado, please join us in welcoming the creative vegetable gardener Megan Kane. Well, welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you, Vicki and Larissa. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. All right. So you have a really interesting story that I was reading about in your book and also on your website. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's really interesting. I really love how you talk about not your mom not being able to touch, uh, find a picture of you near any sort of vegetation. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I talk about that in my classes. It's when I teach live classes, I do a little intro where I say that I had emailed my, my mom and asked her to send me some pictures of me in a garden. I had some memory that, that I must've been near a garden. We must have had some pictures. And then she looked through all our photo albums, sent me a couple pictures, and then sent me a note that basically said, I couldn't find any pictures of you near a garden. Apparently, we didn't let you near any plants when you were little. <laughs> so she did send me a picture, and it was me standing next to um, a just like a big flowering shrub. That was about all she could find. So I thought that was pretty funny, and it's pretty indicative of my growing up because I grew up in Philadelphia in the city in a really urban area. We lived in a row home uh, and pretty much everybody I knew, all my family lived in row homes. Um, And so we never had a backyard. We had a little patch of grass um, that my parents used to mow with a push mower, but my mom didn't like to carry it through the house. So she would always send me and say, go it, go wheel the, the push mower around the block. So you'd have to like go all the way up the driveway, turn the corner, come all the way down the front, and then deliver the the push mower. So, um, so yeah, we just had a little bit of grass and then a couple shrubs, and and that's pretty much how most people I know uh, grew up. Uh, most right. of my family. So, so I never gardened. I never thought I never really thought about gardens I never we didn't really eat a lot of vegetables growing up so I always say I actually don't think I ever thought about vegetables or where they came from 
Wow, that's really interesting. So now when you say push mower, are you talking about the kind like on Leave it to Beaver with the little little rotating barrel thing yeah. that you actually had to put? Yeah. Larissa, had, when we moved into our house, she had this idea that that's what we were going to use. and Or uh, let me take that back. What I was going to use to mow the lawn, and that didn't last very long. We had very good intentions, but no. it was very difficult to push in our St. Augustine grass. Yeah. Oh, so so how old were you then when this, uh, you know, your the garden? Gardening bug, bug hit then? Well, I was 26 and I was living in San Francisco, so another big urban area. I lived in the city, so I lived just in an apartment. We didn't have any green space. Uh, and I, I don't, I have no idea looking back where it came from. And maybe it's just because it was the beginning of kind of the food movement, and which I think was already present in San Francisco. So I had, I didn't really know how to cook. I was just telling uh, somebody the other day how I didn't know how to cook really at that time. I, I did start to go to the farmer's market. I bought my first cookbook. So I started to get interested in food. I applied for a community garden plot, but there was a big waiting list. So I didn't get one. Um, and I just started to think that I wanted to learn how to garden. I ha- and again, I have no idea where it came from, that thought. <laughs> um, so I, and I actually, it was a time in life when nothing was working out. And so I was, I'd broken up with my boyfriend. I didn't really like my roommates. I was trying to find a new apartment. I couldn't find a job. And the cherry on top was that I applied for a volunteer. I was going to work for free volunteer program in San Francisco that was called, um, it was with the San Francisco League of Urban Gardeners. So it was some kind of green thumb, like green tenders where you would learn all about gardening and then help um, do some projects around the city. And I got, and I, so I went in, I had an interview and I thought, well, of course I'm going to get this volunteer position. (laughs) And then they called me and told me that I didn't get it. (laughs) Ouch. And I just thought, yeah, this nothing, literally nothing is working out. Yeah. I was just going to say that you, uh, when you went through a bad breakup, it sounds like you were a bit more pro- tried to be a little bit more productive. When I went through a bad breakup, I started playing rugby. So, <laughs> so, so then I guess according to to what I read on your on your bio, um, it looks like you did the next best thing and and moved to a hundred uh, a hundred person town in Missouri. Right. So I thought, why not? So so I I have this memory of walking around San Francisco, and I thought. Maybe I'm not supposed to meant to be here. Nothing, literally nothing is working out in my life and maybe this is a sign that I need to leave. And I wasn't that happy anyway, partly because nothing was working out. And so at the same time, I was also interested in intentional communities. So there's lots of intentional communities around really around the whole world where sometimes they're um, co-housing projects, sometimes they're they're communes, which are income sharing, sometimes they're ecological communities. And so I ended up finding out that there were communities that were really focused on ecological principles, and those are called eco-villages. And so I thought... So then I looked into a couple of eco-villages and I realized you could, I could apply for an internship where I could learn how to garden and then also experience what it was like to live in an eco-village. So I thought, okay, I can hit two birds with one stone, two, two things that I'm interested in at that time. Um, and then I ended up applying to this eco-village in Missouri. And I did get 
the internship there. <laughs> um, so I packed up all my stuff and I moved to a rural area in Missouri. And yeah, it was a town. We lived outside of a town of a hundred people. So it was how big of an adjustment was that for you? I mean, you went from a really urban type of environment to pretty much uh, like a little pretty much basics, right? Bare basics. Yeah, I I had never really camped before. And so and they didn't have enough housing for all the interns. So the plan was all the interns would camp. So I had to go out shopping and get a tent and a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad. Uh, And then I showed up and I actually didn't even know how to set up a tent. I didn't know anything. And one of the women there helped me set up my tent and kind of, since I was going to be in it for a long time, kind of batten down the hatches and use some rope and tie down the rain fly and try to make it really, really stable. But yeah, it was a huge adjustment. I I had never lived in a rural area before. Everybody who lived there was in a co-op together. It was actually a vegan uh, eating co-op. And so we would all take turns uh, making dinner for people. Uh, and I had never really cooked, certainly not for large groups of people. Luckily, when you first got there, you were paired with somebody else that would kind of show you the ropes. Um, but sometimes in the summer, you'd be cooking for as many as 40 to 50 people for dinner. And we cooked outside on a wood stove and we had to, and we cooked everything from scratch and everything had to be vegan. So <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's hardcore. I know. It was really a crash. I always say I learned more in that year and a half that I lived there than, than so many other longer periods of time in my life. It was really a crash course in a lot of things that I had, I didn't know anything about cooking what was for, the, um, food. So did you have like electricity? Um, there, so it was, at that time they were just starting the, the community. So the, so they had a trailer, a double wide trailer across the street that from the, the land that was kind of like common house. Um, that had a living room and it had a kitchen where, where we would cook in the winter when it was too cold to cook outside. So that had electricity, but everything on their land did have electricity, but it's all, it was all solar power. And that's actually how they are now. There's about 75 people that live there. There's lots of houses. It looks like a village and everything is solar and wind power. So they're totally off grid, which is really cool. Very cool. I was wow. just going to ask. So they're off grid. So yes, yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They're off grid. And, um, they also have, you can't have your own car there. So they have about 75 people sharing two or three cars. Oh wow! So, so, have you been back there since since you've been since you left? I have, yeah. My husband and I go back probably every two to three years just to visit and uh, see the people. It's changed a lot, tons since we mm-hmm. moved there, but just to kind of visit and see the changes and yeah, it was kind of a special time I think in both of our lives. So we have a lot of good memories of our time there. So it's fun, fun to go back to b- visit. Yeah, so we skipped over that part a little bit. We fast forwarded a little bit, but you met your husband there, right? I did. How, yeah. How, how long have you had you been there when you met him? We both actually got there the same day, um, and yeah, we met. Well, we met that first day, but it wasn't. I, I was kind of in a the adjustment fog the first week, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Don't talk to me. I'm just trying to figure out how to set up my tent. Don't talk to me. But, but about a week into it, um, I know I, I still actually have the memory of like the first moment that I, I really noticed him. And then, and I thought he was, he was, he was there. 
he wasn't there as an intern, kind of in the next step up, um, which was a resident. So he was coming to live for a while, but not be a member yet or kind of thinking about being a member. So he was doing some construction projects and he I had this memory of he swung under this big piece of wood and I looked in, at his face and all of a sudden I thought, ooh, he's cute. <laughs> and, it was and then, yeah, I guess it was fate. So then I must have cozied up to him and, and started talking to him. And yeah, we just started to hang out and did kind of like weird hip, like our first date was uh, digging up uh, strawberry plants and transplanting them into like, I think it was pots or flats of uh basically composted human manure. <laughs> oh, um, so they, well, that's bonding. Yeah. Yeah. So they, actually the, which was really interesting, the, the place and the, the place is called dancing rabbit eco village. If anybody who's listening is interested, you can actually go visit there. They have visitor weekends and they have a, a pretty extensive website, but they compost all of their human waste um, and then use it not really on food crops. It's usually on fruit trees and shrubs. Um, but you know they let it compost for a few years and then then reincorporate it into their system. So so that was like a weird eco village first <laughs> first date. <laughs> and then yeah, so, after that yeah we, we ended up living in a ninety square foot cabin for about a year together that we kind of fixed up. Somebody else had left it about half fixed up and then we con- and he left the farm and we contacted him asked him if we could fix it up so that we could live there for the winter so so yeah now tiny houses are all the rage right now and I said like, the other day to my husband I said you know we actually lived in a tiny house when we first met <laughs> they weren't really called that then but <laughs> yeah we did it so how long were you guys there until you and you moved again, right? Yeah, we were there for about a year and a half, and we really are both city people more than we are rural people. He grew up um, right outside of Minneapolis and had lived in Minneapolis for a long time. Um, so we decided that we wanted to move, um, and we actually just decided we we ended up traveling for about eight months. We knew somebody who had a little home eco homestead in Hawaii. So we flew to Hawaii um, and spent a month with them. And then we also woofed, uh, which I'm not sure if folks are familiar with that, but it's called Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And there's programs all around the world in all different countries, including the U.S. and Canada. And you can contact folks and then go work on their farms for all, sometimes just a few days or up to a few months. And so after we visited the person that we knew in Hawaii, we they were on the big island. Then we went to Maui for three months and stayed on kind of, it wasn't really a farm, but kind of a farm, kind of a farm retreat center, bed and breakfast place. Yeah. Um, and then, then, then traveled around the West coast and stayed on a couple of different farms and visited a permaculture farm that we had uh, heard about as well. So you're still in kind of a rural environment, or are you kind of urbaning it up now? Yeah, now I live, yeah. After, so after that long travel uh, part after the eco-village, part of it was we were trying to figure out where we wanted to live, um, and we ended up in Madison, Wisconsin. So my husband is from Minnesota, which is right next door to Wisconsin, which I didn't know because I grew up in the the East Coast. I knew nothing about the Midwest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we ended up in Madison, and that was 12 years ago, and we still live there. 
Very cool. Yeah, so it's not a huge city, but it's about 250,000, so it's a nice combination of you get a little bit of the urban experience, but it's also a pretty mellow place to live as well. So we live in the city, and we ha- we do live on an urban lot. Nice. Okay, so we I, I don't know if uh, you've heard any podcasts where we've talked about our challenges with gardening. <laughs> we've had some hit and miss, and of course here in South Texas, we Larissa pretty much lost all of her garden boxes that which had herbs mm-hmm. because it's just, it's, just too, it's just too hot. I mean, you're talking about our heat indices right now are about 110, well. so it's a very very hot spot. <laughs> um, you know, but one of the things I saw in your book or that you mentioned in your book was and I, this really stood out to me was you said it's about the it's not about the garden. It's about the gardener. Right. That was really cool. So so can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. So I I have been a garden educator basically ever since I moved to Madison and I've taught tons and tons of kids and adults how to garden and and. That's what I really focus on is helping people build their skills so that they can become lifelong gardeners. So that's kind of my secret mission is to get lots and lots of people addicted to gardening. Um, And so I really focus on helping people become successful because I think if you're a successful gardener, then it's fun and then you're more likely to continue. So if you have lots of failures um, you, it's not really that fun. And then you, you potentially give it up. Um, and so what I say is I help people skip over the beginner mistakes so they can move on to the advanced ones because there's plenty of mistakes to make in gardening, but a lot of beginners make the same mistakes. I, Cause I, I visit and talk with tons and tons of gardeners and a lot of people are doing the same things, which a lot of those things I did as well. But I thought, well, why not help people skip over those mistakes and and move on to the harder ones? Can you share like maybe like the top two or three that you see pretty commonly? Sure. I think one is, well, one is people I think start too big, a lot of people. And so I have I really encourage people to start small. And I've actually talked people down. I do consultations around Madison and I've talked people down to a smaller garden um, because I think sometimes people have big plans and they start this huge garden and then it's just too much and becomes overwhelming. So I always say start small. Um, I would say another really common one is that I really encourage people to set up a set up permanent garden beds and paths if they have the room. So it could be regular or, you know, what you think of as raised beds, just a cedar box, or it could just be um, just delineating where your beds and your paths are. It's kind of usually when I teach about it, I I have pictures so that I can explain it a little bit better, but it's basically making a garden design uh, and having beds and paths. And I've noticed that people who have a more established bed and path system, their garden is a lot easier to maintain over the long term because it's really clear where the beds are and where the paths are, where sometimes you Mm -hmm. might see people who have a flat style of gardening where you can't, they just kind of plant everything in a big C and and when you look at it, you can't really tell where they're going to walk and where the paths are. Um, I think it's common with people that just till up their garden every year and then they, they just till up a big area and then they just start planting plants. A lot of times they're in rows, but they're, but there's no, it just kind of looks like a big C of plants and there's not really any, anywhere to walk or, um, yeah, any, any apparent design, I guess. 
uh, yeah, so I would say, yeah, those. And then I think another one, because one of my clients that I actually did a consultation with, she emailed me the other day and asked me a different question, but said that they got drip irrigation, which is a great way to water, but she said they were watering every day. Uh, and you, well, okay, let's say in, in northern climates, in um, the 110 weather, 10 degree weather in Texas, it might be a little bit different, but certainly where I live um, and where a lot of people live, you do not need to water your garden every day. Um, because, and even in the, you know, it gets somewhat pretty hot in Wisconsin sometimes in the summer. And even when it's at the hottest, there's no way I'm watering every day. Yeah, no, I find that if I don't water every day or, or, you know, every other day at the very least, then everything starts getting crispy and, and wilty and really sad. Yeah. So <laughs> I know I know it depends on the area and it also depends on the plants, I know, too. Yeah, yeah. So we, we had a listener question. This seemed like a really good place to, to insert one of our listener questions. So... This is uh, actually a friend of yours, Larissa. Yeah, I used to work with him. Uh, it's uh, His name is Jason St. Silve, and his question was, uh, what are some top tips for the gardener who doesn't have a green thumb? <laughs> I bet you hear that a lot, like people saying, I just don't have a green thumb. I kill everything. We've said it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I guess some of this is dependent on where you are, too, right? Right. Does he live in, or, if, if you used to he work with him, does he live in Texas? He used to. He doesn't anymore. He lives up in the Midwest now. Yeah, he lives oh, in the Midwest. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure exactly where, but he lives up there somewhere. Okay. Well, that's a great climate because that's where I live as well. And there, and you can grow lots and lots of things. We we have a short season, uh, as long as Texas, but um, you can grow pretty much everything except for you know avocados and <laughs> bananas and things like that. But so if, if you well, one I would say. Stop saying that you don't have a green thumb because, you know, that could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. every, every, every day, wake up and look in the mirror and say, I have a green thumb. I have a green <laughs> thumb. Because <laughs> um, what you think is what becomes. Uh, That's right. But so for I would focus on... Um, if he, if he lives in the Midwest, I would focus on some crops that I think are pretty, that most people have success with. Certainly tomatoes is one of them. All, almost all gardeners uh, grow tomatoes. Um, and I think basil is pretty easy. Garlic is a pretty easy, easy one in the Midwest. Um, kale is a pretty easy one. Chard. Um, and, and also... Uh, Sometimes when there's beginning gardeners, I suggest, especially if you're someone that that does that's really busy and you're not able to really pay attention to your garden every day, I advise people to to try to start with seedlings versus seeds. So you can go out and buy plants and so some things you plant by you usually plant by seed like a carrot or a beet or a radish and there's other things that you can plant by plant which would be a tomato or broccoli or kale um and so 
the hard part about seeds is you really need to keep them watered until they germinate. And so, and some, and if you are going through a dry spell, like we are right now in Madison, I just planted carrot seeds about 10 days ago and I've been watering them every day and they're still haven't germinated. Um, and so when you start with this plant, it's, it, you have an instant, it's instantly there. You don't have to wait for anything to germinate. You don't have to water every day until something germinates. Um, so that would be a big tip. Um, to to start with seedlings instead of seeds, and then to focus on some of the crops that are easier. And one way to find that out is to talk to other gardeners in your area and kind of see what other people say. You might see some patterns of what people in your area think are the easiest things to grow. Very good. Yeah, and I think I like what you said. It all starts with a positive attitude. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I have, a, and this reminds me, and we actually had another listener question if you're up for it. Sure, uh, yeah, I love questions. Too, because we are very, we try to keep the chemicals out of our house. We had a mm-hmm. green cleaner. We stopped the exterminator. And uh, we, but, so we're trying to keep our garden the pesticide free as much as possible as well. What would what advice would you give people about? And we had this question from Susan Rochester, one of our listeners, who asked about what is the best way to garden without pesticides. Yeah, I, that's a great question, and I don't use any chemicals in my garden. Uh, so I, the foundation of a healthy garden is the soil, and I think a lot of people know that in theory but don't necessarily understand it. And I, I didn't really either until I my last house, we bought it and it was new construction. So it had just had been built um, and the soil was really, really poor. And we, we bought the house partly because it, it was it backed up to a community, a huge community garden. So we had a community garden plot that we had already had before we moved into the house, which was away from our house on land that hadn't been disturbed. And then a, then we created a garden around our house. And it did really poorly uh, because of the soil. Um, and plants that aren't healthy are much more susceptible to disease and insects than healthy plants. And so it definitely starts there. And I actually recently wrote a blog post because now I live in a different house. And although it's not new construction, I ordered, I wanted to put in my garden quick. And so I ordered soil, half compost, half topsoil from a company that I've actually worked with for several years and have been pretty happy with their soil. But one of the loads of soil I got wasn't that great. And so I've been struggling in my garden a bit with soil health. And so things aren't as healthy as I know that they could be. Um, And so certainly, and I'm actually having some insect pressure this year, which I'm, I don't know that it's directly related to the, my plant health, but that could be a factor. Um, and so that's one thing to really make sure. And, and it's not, that's not as easy as it sounds. And that's what I wrote in my blog post is that I think a lot of people don't, especially beginning gardeners don't realize what a healthy plant actually looks like. And so when I planted some things in my garden last year, my new garden in June, uh, a month later, I realized nothing had really grown, and by looking at the plants, I could tell that they weren't that healthy. And so, it takes some practice to 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 know how healthy things how things should look. Um, and so, that's really the foundation of garden of a healthy garden that's less susceptible to pests and disease. But even if you have a healthy garden, you can also get pests. 
Um, I have several going on in my garden <laughs> this year. And I actually, the, the other day when I was out there, I thought, I'm going to write a blog post in the fall. What what didn't go well in my garden this year? <laughs> and one of it is all the pests that I've had. Um, and so I would, I always suggest to people to find out, to figure out what is the pest or disease um, and educate yourself about how you could potentially control it. So for example, I have a lot of cat. I have a lot of cabbage moths in my garden. So there are these white moths that fly around. They kind of flitter around during the day, and they're pretty. And you might just think, oh, it's just an, an insect in my garden. Uh, but they lay tons of eggs on all the brassicas, which is broccoli and kale and cabbage. Um, but if you if you know that that's what it is, and I, and I actually wrote a blog post about this as well with photos. So if somebody somebody who's listening thinks that they might have it you can read the blog post because I put lots of photos but you can actually go out and pick off the eggs and the worms and I that's what I do and I don't even do it every day I'm not religious about it but I just kind of knock them back periodically and that seems to work just fine um, and then right now I also have Japanese beetles that are all over my okra and my edamame and I just put a jar in my garden filled with water and I just go out periodically in uh, some mornings and I just flick the Japanese beetles into a jar <laughs> just to try to control them and it's not you know it's not something that I have to do all the time I just do it when I see one I'll just flick it into the jar and so there are you know it depends how dedicated you are but I'm not you know I'm kind of a lazy gardener I don't I don't want to have to do this something every single day um, and I have a big garden so I don't necessarily have time but really learning figuring out what what pest or disease you have really goes a long way with either helping you deal with it or potentially preventing it the next season so have you ever tried anything like ladybugs I never have. Um, uh, they'll do that a lot in greenhouses where they'll, they'll release ladybugs. There's a lot of pest pressure in greenhouses, um, so sometimes they'll do that. Um, yeah, I would say I, number one is I focus on trying to have healthy soil so I have healthy plants. Um, and then, you know, in my last garden, I stopped growing potatoes because there were so many potato beetles in the community garden and I just gave up and I said, forget it. I don't want to have to go out every day and pick potato beetles. If I don't pick potato beetles, I'm not going to have potatoes. And so it's not worth the effort. So sometimes, you know, I talk to people about grow what you have success with. And so if you're not having success with something, instead of struggling every year, maybe it's time to just buy it at the farmer's market instead and replace that with something in your gar- something else that you have success with. Or if, if you grow kale really great and you wish you had more room, then get rid of the thing that's not successful and double something that is successful. Right. Well, you know, and you mentioned uh, several of your blog posts, and I'm definitely going to link to those uh, in our show notes for our listeners. And but I, I love that soil one. I signed up for your email list, so I got all of your great uh, uh, mistakes email, you know, common mistakes that gardeners make. Uh, so I got all those, and I read every single one oh, of them. Cool. And then I got the the uh, soil. Uh, one that you just published and I was all over that one because you know our soil here is really poor it's it's just like almost all clay um, in the ground Mm. itself and then you know I've been struggling with um, just doing containers and some things do okay and some things don't so I I love that soil post but uh, what you said about uh, just just now about sometimes it's just better to 
kind of like not grow it if you don't have success and get it at the farmer's market. I think that's really a good kind of segue into talking a little bit about your uh, preserving book because I, I was reading through it this afternoon and that's one of the things that you mention in super super easy food preserving. I got that right, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the things that you mention in, in your book is that you don't have to grow everything that you preserve. And I love that because, you know, some things just don't grow around here right. just because it's so hot or some things don't grow because we don't have a long enough cool season. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about your your preserving book, because I know that, you know, it's coming on fall pretty soon and you're trying to start focusing on preserving all the, the great stuff that you've been growing. So uh, super easy food preserving is kind of more like a reference book. Is that right? Yeah, it's almost like I think of it as a cookbook in a way, because you can look up whatever vegetable or fruit or herb that you have that's coming out of your garden and maybe you have too much of something and you want to put some away or like you said you might go to the farmer's market and notice that everybody has green beans and they're at a really good price and so maybe you want to buy some and preserve them and so you can just look up whatever vegetable you're thinking about at that time and then it'll give you what I think is the easiest, so I don't do a lot of canning because I think it's a lot of work and, and you need a lot of supplies and people, I think, get scared about canning because, sure, you could potentially kill somebody <laughs> if, you, if you do it wrong. It's not it's not going to be, it's not very common that people die of botulism anymore, but it certainly is possible. So I think people get worried about it. Um so, and it takes a lot of time and it's messy. And so over the years, I realized I didn't really like to can. And so I started to search out different ways of preserving food that were a lot simpler and easier and quicker. Um, and then I started teaching classes about it. And, and I just, I started to realize that a lot of people, friends and neighbors, they didn't know that, that you could preserve a lot of different things in, in easier ways than canning. I think when people think about preserving, they think canning, and that's the only way to preserve. Um, but I stock my pantry every year, and I, I we only usually can salsa. That's about all we do. Everything else, I use my fridge and my freezer and my basement to store food. What what I really liked as well, it definitely is is like a cookbook, but that you had these worksheets and checklists in there too. Mm-hmm. So that's great for people who are just like us. If we were going to start to do that, that we wouldn't even have a clue where to start. Right. So I really appreciated that aspect of the book is that you have you kind of walk the reader through that that process and to make sure because there's nothing more frustrating when you're trying to do something you realize you don't have any everything you need for it right right and and really what I start out with in the book is first you you taking a look at your own eating habits and what you eat what you buy at the grocery store every week and what kind of meals you eat and it's really kind of about deconstructing some of your meals and seeing if there's ingredients that you could potentially preserve so that you have them all year. So, for example, in our house, we eat a lot of rice and beans, especially in the winter. Uh, and so we that's why we can salsa, partly. And we also put away onions and garlic because we use those in our um rice and beans and pretty much everything else. We put we freeze corn and we freeze red peppers every year that also go in those ri- rice and beans. And so I think that's a great way to kind of think about what do we eat? 
uh, on a regular basis. What do we buy from the grocery store? How can we deconstruct some of our meals and figure out, start there and then decide what you're going to preserve based on the information you come up with. Right. And that makes so much more sense to me, you know, than just and and that kind of goes hand in hand with growing what you're going to eat, too, and not not growing stuff that like I I grew some lettuce this year and I was so proud of myself because I grew it from seeds right in my little box. But then we didn't really eat it. (laughs) I mean, we don't eat much. We eat more spinach. So I should have tried spinach, you know, when it was cooler. (laughs) So, but I was just so like excited about, Oh, look, there's a pack of lettuce seeds. I'm going to grow these. And, you know, and I was pretty, pretty darn proud of myself for doing it. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's just not practical for us. So, um, so I think that's a good thing too, but, um, so I, and I can tell you just by knowing our audience that our listeners are going to love this book. I love this book. Cool. And, uh, yeah, are, they're, they're definitely going to really get a lot out of this book. It's really well written. It's well organized. And I, you know, I intend to use it myself. Um, so, so notice to you, Vicki, we're going to have to buy a freezer. We're getting better every year or two. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. We're improving. Definitely. Are we all? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's constant learning experience for us and we love it. So uh, so let's talk a little bit about your seven-day challenge. Sure. So it's going to start August 23rd, and it's just a free challenge. And I put it together because I kind of with the idea of I want to get people psyched up heading into the food preserving season. So I I really, I think part of actually, well, it depends how you approach easy food preserving. But for me, I kind of wait until the height of the season. There's a few things that I preserve. I went blueberry picking, I went strawberry picking, I went cherry picking, and I froze that stuff because they have a short season. But a lot of the other things, I just wait until fall and, and do a lot of my preserving in September here in Wisconsin. Uh, and so it's just a way to get people psyched up for food preserving and for, for those folks who haven't really tried it before or maybe dabbled in it a little bit but want to get a little bit more into it, um, that'll be that'll be a way. And so I'm just going to walk people through um, some of the basic concepts and, th- and things that you might need and help you come up with a plan basically at the end of the seven days uh, okay. to get you to get you ready and kind of more clear about what 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 might you want to preserve and what are the some of, some of the ways that you can do it. So this is an email challenge, correct? Yes, yeah, so you'll get an email, but we'll also be kind of talking on Facebook and having oh. people share, and I'll be there and a- answering questions. People can post things that they've had success preserving or ask questions of me and the group. Um, so hopefully kind of the thought is that we'll all be going through it together, so it'll be kind of a community of people that are thinking about food preserving and getting psyched up and, and hopefully asking questions of each other and giving each other ideas and supporting each other. Well, that sounds great. And uh, I, I signed up already awesome. this afternoon. So um, I will make sure to put the link to the sign-up page in uh, the show notes as well. And then we'll put that out on our, our social media so that everyone that um, that sees it can take advantage of it. And I really hope they will because I, I'm really looking forward to it. Great, yeah. And then uh, you have uh, graciously offered a free copy of your super easy food preserving yes. book. Uh, to one of our listeners and w- how we'll do that is the way we usually do something like this is uh, to do a random drawing from uh, comments on the show notes for this episode. So we will put that out there on uh, Facebook and um, 
uh, Twitter and then when it'll be in, you know, in this when we publish this so that people can comment and then we'll do a random drawing. Great. That yeah. Great. And the show notes will contain all the links to your website, obviously, and uh, uh, to, um, let's see, what else? Uh, it, well, let's talk about that. How If people are looking for more information on you, where, where can they find you? Sure. They can go to my website, which is creativevegetablegardener.com. And right on the homepage, you can sign up for my general email list, um, which you'll get right away five mistakes to avoid in your garden right now. So it's a lot of the common mistakes that I've heard and seen people make uh, over and over. And then also, if you want to join the challenge, I'll be sending out emails to my regular list about the challenge, but it's a separate list, and you can find that at creativevegetablegardener.com forward slash challenge. Great. Uh, and are you on social media? I at am. All? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Pinterest. Um, and although if you go to my homepage right at the bottom is are the links to all those things as well. Great. Great. And we'll link up to all those as well in the show notes. Great. Well, Megan, we have had a blast talking to you. We really appreciate um your time. And I think Larissa has one more question for you. Yeah, sure. I love questions. (laughs) Yes. I think uh, as we had discussed earlier, we are going to ask you normally at the end of our episodes, we have a recipe of the week and we would like to ask you uh, to contribute a recipe for this week's recipe of the week. Sure. One of my favorite recipes and probably the one I cook more well, maybe it's, it might be tied with rice and beans because my husband says that he could eat rice and beans every day. <laughs> um, is uh, one called Joyous Kale, and it's adapted from. I used to work on a CSA farm, and then later I was a member of that CSA, and it was one that they sent out a long time ago. Uh, and I really liked the recipe, and I've used it over and over. Um, throughout the years and kind of adapted it to my own style of cooking and my own likes. Um, But it's a great one, especially for people who are kind of eh about kale, or maybe you get kale in your CSA box and you're not sure what to do with it. Um, Kale is actually one of my favorite vegetables. It's a really easy one to grow in in the Midwest. Um, But it's a dish that I usually use rice as the grain, and then um, you make kind of a, a tahini um, tamari or sort you can use soy sauce, um, lemon juice sauce. Um, mm-hmm. and then often I'll saute garlic and onions. I usually put some tofu in it for protein. If you, if anybody that still eats meat, you can, um, put some meat in there or just put nothing in there. Uh, and then, um, sometimes I'll just throw other things like broccoli or if I have tomatoes. So it's pretty versatile and, and, I kind of change it with the seasons. I kind of have a, the base recipe and then I'll add whatever uh, um, I have in my garden on top of it. But it's great for dinner. And then we always, the way that we cook in our house is that we always make sure we have enough leftover for lunch. And it also makes a great lunch the next day. Great, great. And then so I will look forward to getting that uh, the link to that recipe from your website and we'll put that in the show notes as great, well. Great. Yeah, and I'd love to hear if people end up making it what they think. Right, and I know that you are a member of our Peas and Carrots Society, so you'll probably get to see firsthand. All right. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, Megan, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We've only done, you're, you're our third interview, really. So we are, uh, you know, it's not that uh, we um, don't invite people necessarily, but we, um, 
are very selective with our group, and so we really appreciate you uh, reaching out to us and uh, and sharing all this in- valuable information. I know we are super stoked about gardening again, oh, even okay. though we're coming up on the fall now. But <laughs> we're we're going to be ready. We're going to be ready when when we can start to. And to I'll plant probably again. be asking you lots and lots of questions. <laughs> well, I love questions, and it's funny. A lot of my neighbors and friends they'll come up kind of sheepishly and say, "Do you mind if I ask you a question?" And I say, "No, I love gardening. Questions. I could talk about gardening all day." There, there are no such thing as too many questions. So I love gardening questions. So if anybody else thinks of um, any in the Facebook group, they could feel free to post them, and I'll do my best to answer them. And awesome. I'm sure they will. They're they're an awesome group, and they're definitely not shy. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. All right. Thanks thank a lot. you. All right. Well, that was an amazing interview. And again, we don't do too many of these, but we just knew you guys were going to love her because she just, I mean, it felt like she was just like sitting in our living room talking about gardening tips and stuff, right? Right. Yeah. No, she's, she's got a great energy and she knows a lot about gardening. And I know I'm going to be learning a lot from her as well. I, I signed up for her email list after we met, uh, you know, met her, you know, met in air quotes. She came into our virtual living room. Yeah, we met her. (laughs) Uh, But I had signed up for her email list and it's, she just sends out great emails. All of them have, are just packed full of useful tips. And and so definitely I would do that if you're interested. And, uh, but we will have links to everything that we talked about, all of her books, her, her blog, her everything on, in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. You're not going to want to miss them. All right. Until next time. Peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind.